0: coming up on chasing the natty it is the final weekend of spring games and we're going to cover each and every one of them from this past week in addition we have several players entering and exiting the transfer portal that we're going to talk about and we're going to pray that no other announcements for the transfer portal are made while we are doing this show all this and more coming right after this Looking to Jared Stearns who makes the catch and scores.
1: What a burst! Trayvon Henderson, as advertised, touchdown Buckeyes.
0: This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful, wonderful ride to work on your Monday morning. I hope the traffic is all right unless or well, again, I'm not going to wish traffic on anybody there. So I'm not sure where I was really going with that. Chris, I think you're muted, by the way. Um, But speaking of which, Uh, Welcome to another episode of Chase and Natty. Like I said in the intro there, we are going to cover the final weekend of spring games, and we are really kind of getting ready for the transfer portal to heat up. As we were recording this, it is the final day for players to enter the transfer portal before they um, have to do basically, they can still immediately, or they can still get immediate eligibility, but this is the last day to do so without any kind of roadblocks Uh, hindering them from doing so paperwork waivers stuff like that so got a lot to get to today but first let me uh reintroduce one of our more more frequent guests onto this program but he hasn't come on here to discuss any of the spring games so i made sure he got on here for these last ones everybody please welcome moximus himself mr Chris,
1: christ chris moxley chris welcome back onto the show man thanks for having me i uh I have been a frequent guest. We we had our summits, which were with uh, Brandon and, and Nate, and those were a ton of fun. Those are so and much fun. we we uh, we talked first mock. So I'm glad to be back at the end of spring. And I feel like a lot's happened since we've we've chatted.
0: So so much has happened. Again, I, I really like those uh, the um, the summits that we did. I really hope that we can get at least one more set of those out uh, right around the fall time. That people seem to really really enjoy those, and they liked hearing us uh, debate different guy. So I think we could definitely do that again. Um, But yeah, Chris, uh, we are closing out spring here and everything. So again, you haven't been on since uh, the first mock and everything. What are your kind of overall thoughts from the spring? Anything really kind of changed this year from previous years that you think kind of stood out to you uh, or just, yeah. What do you think?
1: I feel like we're getting away from the traditional spring game format. Um, And this year was really a great example of that. Like, I feel like more than ever, It was offense versus defense, or it was more of a scrimmage than it was a true game. And you were having drills in the middle, like yesterday. Fresno had seven on seven in the middle of theirs. I mean, it's becoming less about having a true game, and I think more about fan experience, which I think is great for fans of the team, Mm -hmm. but not as great for us. So I wish we'd go. I wish more teams were doing the traditional spring game, but I don't think that's the direction we're trending.
0: Yeah, I definitely got a touch of both because I, I was able to attend two spring games this year. I'm hoping that, you know, once I get out of grad school and get a job somewhere, then maybe I'll have a little bit more free time to get out on the weekends and stuff like that. But I was able to attend the Georgia Tech one. I attended the UGA one as well. And those are very different, very different spring games uh, in terms of their format. Uh, the Georgia Tech one, like you mentioned, is def- was definitely more along the lines of, like, fan experience. Like, I was literally down on the field, like... I literally just walked into the stadium. It was free. I could walk down onto the field. They had like barbecue down there on the field, Uh, way overpriced barbecue for that matter. But even so, um, but like if you watched my Georgia tech video, like all the videos I got from there was like right there on the ground. That was actually me recording that. So it was very, very cool experience. Uh, But again, I didn't get as much out of it as say I got out of Georgia, which Georgia very much set spring game. Number one offense goes against the number two defense uh, they're on opposite teams. Number one, number two offense joins the number one uh, defense. Number two defense joins the number one offense, and they actually play against each other. And there's like an actual game and some bragging rights on at the end of it for it. Again, as a fan, I do get the appeal of the Georgia Tech model and like the the, the teams who do it. And I think it really works for like these smaller teams because again, like you want to give people a reason to come to your team because like nobody goes to the Georgia Tech game or spring game being like already are we gonna be a team that's gonna dominate the ACC this year uh, probably not but you'll come for some barbecue and like getting to see your like your team's players like up close and personal sure uh, but again as a CFF analyst I definitely enjoy the Georgia model a whole lot more because it feels more structured and simulates an actual game day a little bit better.
1: I I agree with that. I wish, uh, you know, I, I've i attended multiple South Carolina spring games. And there are a lot more games. And I've, I've been to some scrimmages um, and practices and as well. And it's just a different environment. It's just a lot of fun when you can, like, root for players in the true oh, yeah. game sense. Um, so I I agree. I like it. But I also understand that they got to fill stands doing some fun stuff. So
0: it is what it is. I don't know if this is something that, like, has been going on the past couple of years. But one thing I really did notice was just like how much more pass heavy these teams have become in the spring games. Cause like you mentioned um, a couple weeks ago where you talk about, it I might've been South Carolina, but you're talking about like how pass heavy they were, like the, their neutral scripts seem to be in the spring game. But like as the spring games kind of went on, I was like, it seems like everybody's doing this and it makes sense. Cause like running the ball is by far the most physical part of the game. And it's also the area where you're most likely to encounter injuries So, like, why risk it? If you already know who your running back one's
1: going to be, like, why risk it at all? Yeah, and you're you're not even seeing true RB1s carry the ball more than, like, yeah, maybe 10 times. Sometimes not even more than five, and sometimes they don't even get more than, like, a carry to start the game. I mean, there's no incentive to do it, and some don't even have um, tackling allowed. Sometimes it's legitimately two-hand touch. Uh, for even running backs not just quarterbacks exactly so it, it's definitely it's a warm-up and that's i kind of been always the point of the spring game i think but it's definitely trending towards a less game like environment and again part
0: of me like enjoys that because again like if i'm actually there i appreciate like getting to see things i don't normally get to see because uh, that's, that's some people just enjoy people love access they love being able to see like how the sausage is made they like being able to hear the coaches a little bit better like a lot of spring games this year had like tons of interviews like with the coaches while they're down on the field coaching and stuff like that i think that's great but again like for us in terms of like trying to get these to simulate a game day experience and like what these players will do on game day definitely less and less to take away from um, and again like i mentioned this on a pod two weeks ago I think I think I did it with um, Brandon or Nate where basically spring games have become to me where it's like if you hear like a steady drum beat about somebody like out of camp and you're like okay I don't know whether to believe this or not spring games tend to be where that's kind of confirmed good examples are Tyrone Tracy out of Purdue Uh, we've been hearing about him all spring and like once the game day got there without Milton Wright on the field he definitely seemed like the guy that they were wanting to get touches on the ground and through the air uh, Eric Gilbert was another one where, again, I've been hearing the drum beat all, all spring, and I'm like, okay, is he really back, Like, or am I getting behooved here? Goes out in spring day, catches three balls and two touchdowns. It's clearly a, just a monster in the red zone. I'm like, I guess Eric Gilbert's back. Here we go. So,
1: all righty. I, oh, you got any more, Chris? No, I was just going to say I'm kind of in the same boat. I just, I'm taking less away from the actual game and more about the role a player has. Yeah. on Um. And how they're being deployed. Yeah. That. Yeah.
0: All righty. So with that, let's move away from spring games. We'll move back to them in a second. But we're going to talk about some of these transfer portal news from this past week. And we're going to start off here with Mr. Jordan Addison, probably the bi- one of the probably the big one of the biggest transfers of the entire offseason. Again, obviously got Caleb Williams, guys like that. But since things kind of calmed down in the spring and things are starting to kick back up a little bit. Well boy, this this one uh this one kinda of blew up the internet a little bit, uh, because not only did he announce that or did they announce that he was going to into the portal, but that it seemed like it was already a done deal with USC. Now, Chris, you and I could talk about endlessly about like how like tampering works here and everything like that. Again, if people follow both of us, they know that uh, we have differing views on that. But even so, let's I, I say we uh, both agree one, Dan C double is mostly at fault here for just not bearing any responsibility on this and like putting any rules or punishment in place for it. But then also like, how does this affect both the pit wide receiver room and the USC wide receiver room? What are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. I think the NCAA just, the second they step in to regulate it, you get dangerously close to um, opening a can of worms that they're not ready to open. And down the line, that probably means unionization for players, which is why, NCAA doesn't want to touch any of this. And they're just turning a blind eye to a lot of it. And Addison's probably another good example of he was probably contacted beforehand, obviously not by Lincoln Riley himself, but somebody associated with USC, I'm sure Mm -hmm. had something to do with If it's true, he's going to USC. He probably spoke with somebody is the bottom line impact wise. um, This hurts Pitt's offense for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, You know, I like canada Mumfield a lot. I think he's a really good player, but I don't know if he's really a wide receiver one at a power five level. I think that he's a really good complimentary guy, and Addison was going to be probably one of the most productive receivers in the country again. Um, I think Jalen Wayne could, pl- could play a yeah. bigger role. I think he's the guy that's probably going to step up, and he's probably worth rostering in some formats if the offense is a little bit reminiscent of what we had last year that involves Caleb, or Keaton yeah. Slovis taking a step. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great for USC's offense. I mean, I think they're looking for a second guy there or a, a first guy. I think the one-two punch of Mario Williams and, and Jordan Addison will be really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like I, I, Mario Williams is definitely the leader there currently, but they don't really have a lot of great options behind him. Gary Bryant's interesting. Taj Washington's kind of falling out of favor. Uh, Where Hudson got some run in the spring, but they haven't had a guy. I think they can rely on consistently. And I think Addison could be that either as a one or a two. I think both can be incredibly productive in that offense because they'll throw a lot. Yeah. I think the, probably the bigger uh, takeaway for
0: mo- more of the takeaways for me are on the USC side of things, but I will touch on Sean Pitt here. Uh, first of all, I think that losing Kenny Pickett was probably a big pusher here for Addison. Um, and I think them replacing him with Keaton Slovis, who has not looked very good throughout the spring, I think definitely was kind of, leading him to believe like already, I'm not going to be as productive here as I was last year. So we're probably going to need to uh, change things up if I want to continue to build on this momentum that I got after last year. Um, so there's that. And I agree with you, uh, Jalen Wayne's definitely somebody I'm now keeping an eye on. I do like an out as well, but neither one of those guys are going nearly as high as I had Addison. I'd say probably they're probably gonna be in my wide receiver 36, 48 range if they even get that high. Um, and again, I'll have to look into it a little bit better to see like which one I like a little higher than the other. But on the USC side of things, this is where it kind of gets interesting because this will have been the fourth major wide receiver that Lincoln Riley had would have brought in through the portal this year. This year, because he got Addison here, Mario Williams, uh, Brandon Rice, uh, Terrell Bynum. So that's four receivers I can think of off the top of my head. How do you feel if you're a guy like Tyrell Bynum or Brendan Rice or something like that, where you feel like, like Riley's bringing in you as like his chosen guy, but then he just continues to bring in guys to replace you almost immediately. Um, And I'm not saying that like, that's not part of the, I'm not saying that's not part of the equation. Like that's a risk you take with the transfer portal and everything like that. But I do wonder if this is going to start again. It's one of these things where, where we're living in a wild time in CFB. We're, players are transferring all over the place and everything like that. But I do think it's going to be another one of these kind of case studies where people are going to start seeing like, all right, yeah, I could transfer to a major program, but is the grass always going to be greener even if I do get there? Because like you've already seen the the grass isn't greener when players enter the portal and then they just don't have a location. But even like for some of these guys, like, all right, I got to USC. Like I've I've arrived. Like I'm going to be part of the Lincoln Riley offense. But then again, he just keeps bringing in guys. And again, this isn't like, I'm not saying that this is, like, an illegal thing by Riley's doing or that he's, like, lying to kids or anything like that. Like, that's, I, I don't, that's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is, like, I do think it'll be interesting to see if this is something that coaches kind of point to down the line to tell their guys, like, hey, like, it may sound great, but this isn't going to, like, it isn't always the best-case scenario for you. What do you think about that, Chris?
1: Yeah, I, so I think two things. I think each player thinks that they're good enough to earn a starting spot say hey like they believe in themselves or they don't get here right yeah. like that's just the mentality a lot of players have but i don't think it's going to deter any players because you see the same thing happen every single year at Ohio State like Ryan Day consistently over recruits and players still go there because they have success they believe they're the best they believe they can win out and that's not always true obviously mm-hmm. but it's just the mentality of these of these kids and Lincoln rally saying hey you can compete for a spot on this offense look at all the players I put into this league. And that's what that's what they're buying. And, and whether they should be or not, I, these kids have a lot of confidence. Yeah. And you like to you like to see it. But again, it, it, it does hurt some of them in the long run. Yeah. And, and no doubt about
0: that. Again, let me let me be very, very clear. Like the, the players have every right to make this decision. That is the whole goal of this is that we want players to at the end of the day, if things don't work out for them, it's not because somebody was keeping them down or the rules were against them from finding a better situation for themselves. Is because they made that decision for themselves, and they can then kind of look back on it and say, like, "All right, I could have, like, I probably could have played that a little bit better," or maybe I, I could have, like, if if you're looking back in spring, it's like, "Okay, I didn't get a starting roster. Maybe I just didn't work hard enough." Like, you don't want them to be able to say, like, "All right, I'm just stuck in a bad situation." Um, but even still, like, again, I, I, to me, I'm gonna be keeping an eye on this uh, USC wide receiver room, and then again, we already talked about a little bit the other guys who are already there that I think our candidates now transfer out. Because again, the guys he's brought in, those four guys, they've used up their immediate eligibility now, if that is the case. Uh, so they have to grad transfer in order to be able to transfer again. But guys like Gary Bryant, Kyle Ford, I think Taj Washington still can transfer again because technically he transferred before the uh, media eligibility was in place. And so, uh, or before that rule is in place. So I do believe he gets one more free eligible transfer. So I wouldn't be surprised if any of those guys transfer out. Michael Jackson is another one that I wouldn't be super surprised by. Uh, Pretty much a lot of guys from the previous regime I wouldn't be surprised to see enter the portal by the end of tomorrow.
1: So, Yeah, it's a crowded room.
0: Very crowded room. All righty, let's go ahead and move on to our next guy. A lot lot less controversy behind this. In fact, uh, the situation behind this actually, as far as I can tell, kind of earned universal praise from almost everybody I saw. And that is uh, Jerry Bohannon, quarterback at a Baylor, has entered the transfer portal. And again, the background on this one is that um, Dave Aranda made the announcement. And he said Blake Shapen will be our starting quarterback, and he did so before the portal in, uh, the portal um, deadline. And a lot of people kind of praised him for that because they said, hey, that's just being honest with your quarterbacks and is letting Bohannon now have a chance, especially Bohannon being the older prospect, if I remember correctly, giving him a chance to then look for a new opportunity. Because again, pretty much in in college football, once a younger guy has passed you up on the depth chart, it's very hard to move your way back in front of them. At least it's just been the experience that I've been able to see. And so... As long as that younger guy is still there. So again, this gives Bohan a chance to now go to a different school. Uh, a couple of interesting ones. I've heard Louisiana Tech, uh, Chris, pretty much any quarterback enters the portal. Now you just say Buffalo. Um, but even so, like, I, I think that it, it's, it, again, it's another interesting case study because the, the conventional wisdom has been so far that coaches basically have to almost lie about the competition in order to keep their quote-unquote depth from transferring out. But Dave Aranda's kind of bucked that trend here. and said, no, I care about Bohannon. I'm going to be honest with him and say, hey, if you want to start somewhere, you got to go elsewhere. What do you think about all this, Chris? And what do you think about Bohannon? Yeah.
1: Um, I don't think Bohannon's a Power 5 quality starter. So I think he probably ends up in the MAC, and the Sun Belt, something like that. I, I really don't think that he has the passing ability to do it, but he's a really mobile quarterback. So, I mean, he, he can definitely flourish in, um, you know, a G five c- conference doing, you know, more against le- a little bit lesser competition. So mm-hmm. I do think he'll end up, um, losing tech's an interesting one. They could, they could use him. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a couple of places that he could go and, and do well, but I, I agree with the sentiment around Aranda. That's, that's really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, give a guy who earned he er, he really earned this amount of respect with his play last year, just like being a leader on the team. Yep. And, and I, I, I commend Aranda for doing that because not a lot of coaches are willing to do that and risk losing depth at the position because Blake Shapin doesn't really have any behind anybody behind him. You feel good about yeah. plugging in right now. I mean, I don't really love Kyron drones. I don't know that he can do it. So it, I would not be surprised if they actually added somebody from the portal as well. And like a older feather 60 year guy um, just for depth. But mm-hmm. I really like that. He, he did this for Jerry Bohannon. Cause Jerry Bohannon is a starting quality quarterback. So he deserved this chance.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I get, I hope more coaches start to do this um, especially at programs. Like, again, I'm, I'm going to bring up Texas here. Cause like, that's to me, is like the most clear one right now where um, like like, it it feels like the coaches are almost lying about the competition to keep one of them or, or to keep one of their guys, the older guy from transferring away, namely Hudson card. Um, And like, especially programs like that, where you can recruit like these incredible quarterback rooms where you're going to have a, you're going to have a stud out of high school almost every single year. And you have the ability to recruit in another quarterback that you want to out of the transfer portal that knows they're probably not going to start I hope programs like that specifically really start to take this to heart because I think that, again, just being honest with these players a little bit more is going to be helpful for them in the long term and let them make, again, better decisions for themselves. Again, the whole goal of the past couple of years has just been getting more power to the players and the best thing you can do for them in that scenario is just give them as much informa- honest information as you can to them so that they can make the best decisions for themselves.
1: Yeah, Alrighty. I like, I love Dave Aranda for doing this. Yeah. Just all uh, stand-up guy.
0: Uh, uh, he he's just impressed me so far as just a head as as a head coach. And honestly, like it really says a lot about LSU that they were kind of like, oh yeah, we're glad to be rid of them kind of deal, or like our defense is going to even be, be even better this year. Uh, and then he goes and just gets Baylor to win a Big Twelve championship in two years, and LSU is the way that it is right now. Yep. All right, let's go ahead and move on. And let's talk about Grant Gannell transferring out of Memphis. Once again, I'm just glad that this quarterback situation's figured itself out. Seth Hennigan, he's going to be the starter. We don't have to worry about any more rumors about Grant Gannell uh, pushing him for starting spots. And may- maybe, um, I forget, is it Silverfield? Silverfield's the head yeah. coach at Memphis. I think maybe Silverfield kind of took a leaf out of uh, Aranda's book here. And maybe again, he was one of the guys trying to say like, "Oh no, this is a competition. Probably went up to Gannell after Aranda uh, did what he did with Bohan and was just honest with Gannell, and so Gannell now has a chance to transfer away, but this is, that doesn't shy away from the fact this is Ganell's second transfer in two years. So Chris, do you think there's a possibility that he could land anywhere that you might be a little bit interested in him, or do you think that Gannell is DUN done?
1: Um. I think he'll start somewhere this year. Okay. I think there's enough places that are probably looking for a quarterback that he can start. And I think he's a good starter. Um, to be honest, I thought he looked better than Seth Hennigan in the spring game. Mm. And I was I I don't think they want to lose Hennigan because Hennigan was a freshman last year and he could very well be the future of the program. And so even if he was behind Ganell, I don't think they want to risk losing him. And so this is kind of probably the decision that they came to. And I think it's it's smart because I think Huntington probably has the higher ceiling, but Ganell will start somewhere. Gunnell, gunnell's a good quarterback and he looked good in spring and he looked good in the spring game. And, and so I, I'm excited to see where he goes. I think, I don't think he's going to go power five. I do think that he's going to get a G5 job, but I mean, I think he could start and I think he could be a productive player. Get him, get him to Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody goes to Buffalo. No, I, I don't, I know he was an Arizona kid and, yeah. um, he, he, you know, he was there before he transferred to Memphis, but you know, there are a lot of opportunities for him. If he, yeah, you know, I think he'll, he'll get picked up somewhere. So i he, he's I'm real pretty confident. He's from Houston,
0: Texas, um, North Texas, maybe.
1: Yeah. They still have Austin Aene, who I don't think is a great quarterback anyway. Exactly. Um, exactly. I, I wonder if Texas tech takes a look at him, if they're not happy with the quarterbacks on the roster currently. And they looked all looked terrible in the spring game. That yeah. wouldn't totally shock me. I do think that they'll probably stay
0: with the guys they have there. I think the entire CFF community would cry if they added a fourth quarterback <laughs> option <laughs>
1: to yeah. that room. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. None of those quarterbacks look good. So I think, we'll, I think, we'll Mort- see. <laughs> Morton's become my
0: guy that, like, I'm saying, like, he is probably the future. So if you're like in a dynasty, or if you're in ac to C2C and you just want that possibility of that in the future, I think he is very much in line to get it. I don't know if he gets it this year. Probably Shuck gets it this year. And then Shuck goes off and probably gets his upteenth uh, master's degree or something like that.
1: Yeah. And um, Ganell transferred. So I assume this is a grad transfer.
0: I think this is another
1: one of the c- scenarios
0: where, again, he transferred before the one-time transfer uh, rule was implemented. So I think he still gets another one. He might be
1: grad transferring. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. he He's old enough to, to potentially be a grad transfer. So, yeah. well, I don't know, but he definitely has eligibility. I think he's entering the portal right now.
0: Yes. All righty. Let's go ahead and hit up our last transfer portal guy here. Uh, oops, uh, I guess my, uh, slideshow didn't update here, but I guess we'll just go ahead and talk about him. But Marquise Irving, literally right before the show, we just got notifications that Marquise Irving, the running back out of Minnesota is now transferring over to Oregon. So two pretty good CFF running back groups that we have been, we become accustomed to Minnesota, Oregon. Chris, what do you think the impact of this transfer has on both Minnesota and the Oregon running back rooms?
1: I think Minnesota's in good shape. I think that, uh, you know, Mohamed Ibrahim was dressed and warming up yesterday. So I think he's probably almost all the way back from his injury. So that probably helps. They brought in freshman Zach Evans, who looked good in their spring game yesterday as well. Um, so I think, I don't think Minnesota is really going to miss a, a beat, but I do think he's going to play a role at Oregon. He's a, he was a four-star running back. I mean, he's not a, carry the full load type of guy. He's yeah. only he's pretty he's small. He's I think he's still sub 190, but he'll play a role in, in the passing game. Yeah. Um they'll use him. They won't run him up the middle, obviously. They'll probably use him in space, get him in space, and and he's talented. He's a really good running back. He's just small, small. Mm-hmm. And I do think this cuts into Cardwell's hype. And there's been a lot of it. I think that he definitely doesn't play the same role. I think his role is probably diminished. They have a lot of running backs on that roster, like they just keep bringing in dudes. Like they brought in Noah Whittington from Western Kentucky as mm-hmm. well earlier in the uh, in the off season. So I know I don't I don't know what to expect. Honestly, they moved seven McGee to wide receiver, so maybe he's going to play the role that they thought McGee might. Mm-hmm. But uh, this lowers Cardwell's ceiling, in my opinion. I think I not sure it really does anything for Irving, but. That's that's my takeaway. It's just a crowded running back room.
0: Yeah, I don't think this I don't think Irving is a guy you're gonna be going out and grabbing. And again, because it's Dan Lanning and because I'm a Georgia fan, like I, I, I kind of start mirroring how I think maybe Dan Lanning is trying to uh kind of replicate what he saw at Georgia a little bit, where you have like your Thunderback, you got your Zeus White, Nick Chubb, whatever you want to call it. Uh in Byron Cardwell, probably gonna fill that role a little bit better. And then you have kind of your um kind of smaller but quicker out of the backfield better hands back and like a guy like Kenny McIntosh or James Cook and you bring in a guy like Marquise Irving who like you said is that change of pace down or change of pace back uh third down back you throw to him out of the backfield I think he's very much being brought in for that role and yeah like you said like I, I feel bad because I, I saw in my Dynasty League somebody just traded away uh, or just traded for uh, Byron Cardwell this morning. Uh, and I thought that was a great deal this morning because I think they traded... Uh, who did they trade away? They traded away R- Rara Thomas out of Mississippi State and Chris Smith out of Louisiana. And I thought it was a pretty good deal. And I was like, all right, Byron Cardwell, yeah, he's got the majority of that backfield, I think. But then again this comes in, I think Marquis Irving will be taking away some of that workload off of Cardwell. So, stock down a little bit for Cardwell here. Alrighty, so that kind of finishes up our transfer portal. We're already 30 minutes into this, so, oh boy, we gotta move through these spring games. Let's go ahead and get started. Uh, We're gonna go chronologically order from yesterday. So, we're gonna start with the Maryland uh, Terrapins here. So, Chris, what were your kind of main takeaways from the Maryland spring game yesterday? Uh, I think the
1: offense is going to be good again. Uh, I thought Tulia looked pretty sharp. He didn't have uh routine, Jarrett or Dante Dimas. Dimas is recovering from a pretty bad leg injury, but I think Jarrett, I thought, was, held uh, Jarrett was held out. Jarrett was held out. Jarrett ended up being held out. Okay. Um, I believe he was stressed, but he didn't play. Okay. And, and so there was confusion about, about that, but he, he, wasn't on the field. Um, so Jacob Copeland had a big day and he was the offensive MVP transferring from Florida. I think he's a, a pretty interesting piece, especially if Demas isn't ready. And Demas, if you don't remember, had a really tough injury against Iowa, pretty gruesome leg gruesome. injury. And so, yeah, it was, it was bad. So I, you know, he might not be ready. And I think that this offense could support a good wide receiver. And it might be Copeland considering we had the opportunity for Rakeem Jarrett to play a bigger role last year. And he didn't. Yeah. And so, so I, I, the, the connection between Copeland and uh, Tulia Tagovailoa was really impressive. Well, they, they connected a lot. So, so that was my big takeaway. Um, and they had two running backs that I think looked good. Mm-hmm. Um, Roman Hemby, I think, was the guy that I thought looked better. But I don't think we have much clarity out of that situation yet.
0: It seems like Colby McDonald is like, again, you're right that Hemby looked better in my opinion, but it looks like McDonald's going to get the bigger workload because he got 18 carries yesterday in this game uh, versus Hemby, I believe only got 10. So if there's going to be one that I draft, it'll probably be McDonald because again, like this is only a one game sample size. So they're going to give McDonald more carries. It probably means he's performing better in practice at the very least. Um, but again, either one of them. Like if you if if you want to just take your shot, like these are going to be guys you draft in like the 16th, 17th round of your CFF uh, redraft leagues, and you're gonna find out very quickly whether or not they're going to be guys you want to keep the rest of the rest of the season. You can drop them without much heartache. There, Copeland is what I've kind of been hoping to see out of him the past couple of years because I hyped him up last year with Florida um, because you saw all of the basically almost the entire receiving group out of Florida go to the draft the year before, but Copeland was the only guy left. I'm like, hey, if Embry-Jones or Anthony Richardson, whichever one kind of figures their stuff out, Copeland could easily become the guy in this offense. And he didn't really perform up to expectations last year. But again, I kind of blame that more on one, just Dan Mullen not really running the program very well, but also be the switching back and forth between quarterbacks made it hard to develop any kind of chemistry. Um, but I'm I'm glad he moved over to Maryland. I'll be real. I wanted Georgia as soon, even though he's a Gator. Like I wanted Georgia to grab Copeland because I thought he would have been made a very good outside receiver for us with us losing Burton and Pickens. So, but again, he made his way over to Maryland, and I'm more on board with Copeland than I am on with Raheem Jarrett. Again, like you said, last year Raheem had his chance to really be the guy for Maryland, and he just wasn't. He really wasn't. At at times, he was outshone by guys like uh, Brian Cobb's. Um, and I forget the other one off the top of my head, but both of them entered the transfer portal. So it seems to me like I'm probably going to own more of Copeland this year at his price currently than I will out of um, Rakeem Jarrett. Again, Raheem Jarrett to me is one of the worst values in CFF right now. I just don't see the path to him being productive if he didn't produce
1: last year when he had the opportunity. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, I am pretty interested in Copeland because I don't think Demas is going to be totally healthy week one. And mm-hmm. so that's the, be- that's the bet that I'm I'm making if I'm drafting Copeland because I think that, you know, as an outside wide receiver, uh, he could be really productive in that offense. Demas was averaging, I think, either 100 yards a game or just under it. Mm-hmm. And I think a touchdown per game is well before he had got hurt. There's productivity in this offense. And someone is going to benefit. So I'm more than willing to take a shot on Copeland. I think he's going to be a great value.
0: The other name that kind of stuck out to me in this game was uh, Corey Dykes, who is currently working with the wide receivers, even though he was recruited as a tight end. But they said during the spring game that it was mostly due to the fact that their wide receiver room was just so injured. So I'm kind of hoping he moves back over to tight end because clearly he's another guy that they want to get the ball to. He had a 46 yard uh, catch in this game, uh, and they hit him pretty deep on it, too. So if you can get a tight end that can get an average depth of target going pretty well like that, I definitely am interested in, if I remember correctly, um, the tight end last year. Um, yes. Uh, Okonkwu. I'm, I'm not even going to attempt that first name, but Okonkou, uh finishes the tight end 17 last year. So if Dykes is this kind of like in-between player and he gets tight end eligibility, I'm definitely going to take a shot on him uh, in several drafts.
1: Yeah, I, I like that call. Um, I was reading up about him. And so I, because I, like, like we said, right, their two top wide receivers were hurt. So yep. if he's going to be a move tight end, uh, that offense likes to use them, especially the red zone. That's where a was used a bunch last year.
0: All righty, let's go ahead and move on to our next one. And we're going to go to Buffalo, over to Buffalo, New York. Chris, you want every quarterback in existence to come uh, play here. So let's get started with you here. And I guess you could start with the quarterbacks. Um, Any of them that were here that stuck out to you?
1: Uh, I thought Casey Case was the best quarterback on the day. Um, That's what all the reports seem to indicate. He seems to be the guy that's probably in the lead. I don't know if I love that. I mean, I don't think any of the guys there are really great quarterbacks. I'd love to see them at a transfer. I've been doing it all saying that all off season. I think that this is an offense with potential. I think Klein Williams, the train uh, he transferred from Eastern Michigan, I think two seasons ago, yeah. really awesome player. Uh, Giovanni Ruiz. He got hurt at the beginning of last season. Great slot wide receiver. Uh, they also brought in Justin Marshall from Louisville. Like this, ha- this is a talented wide receiver but just missing a quarterback. I don't know if case to case to that guy, but case to case was okay yesterday. Uh, <laughs> Um, we will see, I don't think it's going to be Myers. I thought Myers was pretty poor last year and he did not seem impressive. So I like this passing game. If we can get a guy in and, and maybe case, to case, takes a step. I don't know, but there's, there's pieces there to make this off. really interesting, but the winner of the day, one of my favorite running backs, Mike Washington, he had only nine carries, but he was awesome. Uh, everybody was raving about how, how great he looked. Uh, he bulked up a little bit. I think he's going to be in for a very productive season, and he caught the only passing touchdown on the day. It's true. I I really really like Mike Washington, and I think he's the guy over Ron Cook. And um, I think Ron Cook might be the RB three.
0: Yeah, I was about to get on. I was about to mention my guy here uh, that I, I he, that caught my attention. And again, this is once again where I wish where beat writers would be more precise about how they split up the teams because I would love to know like if this was him going up against the twos versus him going up against the ones. I have no clue. Um, oh, Also, by the way, Casey Case, um, that is a candidate for all all name the all American all name team uh, oh, yes. this year. Casey Case, gotta love it. But again, the running back I want to talk about here is LJ Henderson who had 14 carries in this game for 87 yards and three touchdowns. Now, stats by themselves don't speak a ton to... Again, we don't know if he was running against the 1s or the 2s. Against Again, it was very unclear about how these teams were split up. But he's definitely a name for me to kind of keep an eye on. And like you mentioned, Chris, for all of the people out there who are now drafting Ron Cook, I think Ron Cook is never been the kind of back that Buffalo wanted to rely on we saw that last year when when Kevin Marks came out they still didn't go to him uh, and then Dylan McDuffie took over for the most of the rest of the year so I think yeah like Mike Washington LJ Henderson those are two guys to keep an eye out here and if Mike Washington God forbid ever did go down with like an injury or anything LJ Henderson really seems like to be the guy next guy up yeah. uh, to hold on
1: to yeah, LJ Al- Al- was really impressive yesterday. He um, he is, I think, definitely the RBQ at this point. And the Ron Cook hype never really made sense to me. Like you said, he isn't the guy that they they like to, to use. Um, that's he's always been my back Washington. too, right? Yeah, he, he's not nearly as big as Washington is. Um, I think he's sub 200. And so I, I'm still drafting. I've been drafting for a while. I'm going to keep drafting him. And I think Saturday just confirmed... What we all wanted to see—that mm-hmm. he's the one—and he could still have a lot of upside in this offense.
0: Absolutely. Let's go ahead and move on. Going back to the Big 12, where we got Minnesota. Uh, had to move indoors because of some spring showers going on over there, and nothing too much to take away from me in this game, uh, because again, Muhammad Ibrahim, Treshawn Paz, neither of them have come back. So we did get to see the passing game just a little bit more here. But again, we didn't get to see a ton. Uh, Tanner Morgan, the starting quarterback, only threw four passes, completed one. So he didn't have a great day. But again, like, didn't seem like they wanted to do too much with him. The kind of standout receiver was Michael Brown Stevens. Had a ton of, like, he only, again, the stats sheet shows four uh, four catches for 50 yards. It seems like kind of a standard day. But that doesn't cover how many times he was targeted in this game and how many times he was about like two inches short uh, being inbounds on some pretty impressive outside, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, post routes uh, that I thought were uh, very impressive for him. So he's kind of a guy I'm keeping my eye on. Uh, Chris Almond Bell apparently played in this game, but like nothing, like didn't hear his name called once the entire time. Uh, Larry Wright's another name to kind of keep an eye, eye out on. He had five catches, 55 yards. But the guy I kind of get a little hyped up from this game is uh, not that I expect him to do anything this year, because again, Ibrahim's uh, coming back, Potts coming back, but Zach Evans seems like the guy that they're going to have be the uh, future after Ibrahim and Potts go off to the NFL eventually or, or uh, graduate and such. To me, he's a better value in like a CFF dynasty rather than a C to C because C to C, I don't see a ton of NFL upside for him. Chris, maybe you can correct me on that, but I I don't see it quite yet. But regardless, it's the Minnesota running back room, and if Zach Evans clearly looks like your best guy moving forward after the guys ahead of him leave, why not pick him up on a CFF dynasty, stash him away for a year or two, and eventually you're going to get a guy who's in a system that has shown they're willing to give a guy 30 plus touches every single game.
1: Yeah, I, he had a steady buzz all spring. And then he came out and looked pretty solid. I don't think he is anything special, but I do think that he, like you said, like, I think he's a guy who could step into this role and that's a really valuable role for CFF, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a top five running back a lot of years. And, And so he looked good. He had a really Awesome, like one-handed catch over the middle, too. Yep. Um, so if he can get a little bit of passing work, that's not really something that we see out of Minnesota running backs that often. So that would be really neat. I don't know if it's gonna happen. Uh, um, my takeaway is basically the same as yours. Uh Brown Stevens had nine targets on the day and was used in the backfield, like as a running back, multiple times, too. Mm-hmm. Like this is a he's gonna be all over the field, and I don't know what he's gonna do alongside Chris Human Bell, who I still think is the one, but he's definitely gonna have a role. And that role could be pretty valuable if he is getting rush attempts, if he is being targeted nine times a game, you know? Mm -hmm. So, definitely an interesting player. Um, Someone that I'm probably not drafting yet, but someone that I am keeping an eye on.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely not to the point where I'm drafting them really in any kind of format yet. Uh, Chris Bell probably takes a hit for me uh, compared to where I have right now, because I think I have him... Let's see, I'm a wide receivers. I have Bell at the... Uh, Wide receiver, 63, probably going to bump him down below some of the guys that I have there, because like, I have uh, Tamatoa out of uh, Hawaii right behind him, uh, Donovan Green out of Wake Forest, I have right behind him, so I'll probably knock him below those guys just a little bit. Uh, but even so, like, to me, the big takeaway with Zach Evans, if you're in a Dynasty League, he is somebody that I would probably spend like, I'm not going to say top draft capital on him, but like if you're getting into like the round like five, six range, I definitely like he is he is in a valuable enough position where I would definitely say go get him. So I let's go that. ahead let's go ahead and move on. Fresno State going over to California, and Chris, I think we're both on the same page here where for the most part, there isn't a ton new to take away from the Fresno State spring game. All the usual suspects did pretty well. Like Jake Heiner's starter. There's no real question there. Jalen Cropper looked like the best receiver. Jordan Mims was out for the day. So I guess really the the takeaway after that is Jordan Bilro had a very, very nice day at running back. So I guess you could have maybe a little bit of concern that he might eat into Jordan Mims. But everything I've heard out of camp is that Mims is the clear one. And that they're going to use him like they used him last year which is they gave him all the touches last year uh, whenever he started, even more than Ronnie Rivers. So anything I'm kind of missing here, Chris, that you think is like a,
1: a takeaway from this Fresno State spring game? No, I, I had the same thought about Wilmore. I thought he looked pretty good, um, and the reports were pretty glowing. Mims played in their like seven-on-seven kind of weird, not gotcha. really an actual game practice kind of drill thing, whatever you want to call that but he didn't record any stats in the spring game. So that tells you all you need to know about how they feel about him. They won't, probably don't want to risk him out, out there. Um, but yeah, I think Wilmore, if anything happens to Mims, is probably a plug and play guy. So I'm, I, he, he was impressive. Yep.
0: I think we can move on from this one pretty quickly. Again,
1: not a ton to take away from here, but
0: keep an eye out on Milro. And if he's available in your dynasty supplementals and everything, go ahead and just scoop him up. You'll probably enjoy having him in a year. All right, let's go over. We're going to stick on the West Coast here. We're going to go over to Washington. And uh, before we even get into any of the players, uh, good Lord, the attendance for this spring game was probably one of the saddest things I've ever seen in college football. There was recorded, apparently, like just over 100 people in the stands for this spring game. And this was a spring game that was being like broadcast on TV. And I said afterwards, I put out a tweet out where I said, like, I had an easier time finding like beat writer information about this spring game for the Eastern Washington Eagles than I did for this game. And that's not a joke. Like, I looked up Washington spring game and I probably found like four or five articles on the Eastern Washington spring game before I found anything even referring to the Huskies spring game. So, something's going on with with the Huskies program where people are just not excited about them whatsoever which is weird cuz you got the Caleb DeBoer offense there now maybe they do well this year maybe people bring it, bring it back but overall Chris what like that's my kind of spiel on just outside of it what happened in the actual game and like what
1: are the takeaways here I still think we have a quarterback competition um Michael Penix started he he started with the ones Heward looked better I thought he was the best quarterback on the day in my opinion but it's clear that Penix still holds a lead on him. He threw, did throw two interceptions. Hewer looks solid. I still think Morris is involved in this competition too. I don't think there's anything I learned about the quarterback competition yesterday. Um, I thought the wide receivers were good. Uh, McMillan and Odunze, we we know that they're going to play a role, um, but transfer junior Alexander was a guy to definitely keep an eye on. He, oh, yeah. he, he was impressive. He was uh, teammates with, Sam Hewitt at Kennedy Catholic, Kennedy Catholic, went to Arizona State, didn't play, transferred back to Washington. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. And and the last player, and I think this is someone who will move up my rankings, Devin Culp was really involved yesterday as a tight end. And so was Quentin Moore. Uh, Sam Hewitt threw to him a bunch too. So I think this is an offense that's probably going to utilize tight ends, which, you know, that's not something Caitlin DeBoer usually does, but they were really heavily targeted. And I think that's probably to help the quarterbacks more than anything, uh, mm-hmm. give them like outlets because Penix and Hewitt are, are two guys that could probably use that. And And so I think I'm going to probably going to move down and call about my rankings. Yeah. And there's
0: a third name that stuck out to me is uh, Westover, I think was another one. He might've been running with twos and everything like, but again, clearly Washington's had a great time or done a great job developing their tight end position over the past couple of years. Otten just got drafted, I believe at the beginning of the fourth round this past weekend uh, by Tampa Bay. So Clearly, uh, the NFL is impressed with their tight end development, so Kalen DeBoer kind of walks into that situation and says, hey, we got some good receivers, but these tight ends ain't half bad either. So it would be smart of him to kind of shift his philosophy a little bit, especially given the quarterbacks he has, to kind of utilize those tight ends more than he has in the past. And I agree with you. Colt probably going to move up a couple spots in my rankings. Again, the only thing I'm a little concerned about is that he's not the like he's clearly the best tight end they have, but like the fact they have two other good options in uh Moore and Westover, I think is a little bit more concerning to me, versus like another team where like there's only clear one tight end that kind of stands above the rest, if that makes sense. Kind of like Michael Meyer yeah. at Notre Dame.
1: Yeah, I do think I think Culp's the best player. So I think he'll be on the field. I think they might run two tight end sets a lot, though. Could be. Um, so having McMillan O'Dunze and then one of more Westover involved with cult as well. It could be uh, interesting. One player that didn't perform really that well yesterday, but I find myself continually drafting late. Is the running back in Aaron Aaron? Yeah, Aaron Dumas. Like I want a Kalen DeBoer running back, and he's clearly the RB one there. He's had a great spring. He didn't look great yesterday. I think he had like 11 carries for 26 yards or something very pedestrian. Yes. The offensive line isn't great. But I want a Kalen DeBoer running back, and he's not getting any buzz at all. So he's a guy that I have recently moved up rankings and will probably be drafting considering he either doesn't get drafted or goes the last round
0: yeah no dumas has been somebody i've been keeping my eye out on and like some people kind of got off of him when they brought in like uh wayne t out of virginia i don't think that's gonna be any kind of impact there and like when i looked at aaron dumas like the thing that stuck out to me is that he just feels like the same kind of back that ronnie rivers was and i said to myself i'm like hey like if he looks like it's it's like the old saying it's like well if he looks like a ronnie rivers smells like ronnie rivers sounds like a ronnie rivers Probably going to be in that Ronnie Rivers role for Kaelin DeBoer. And again, Ronnie Rivers, if I remember correctly, if I can look it up real quick, finished last year. It's probably going to be lower than we expect. Yeah, he finished his RB65 last year. Um, But he um, he did have several top 36 finishes. So if that's the case, I'm probably looking at a pretty good upside there for a guy that's basically going undrafted in most leagues right now. So I'm with you, Chris. I think Aaron Dumas is definitely somebody that people
1: should be keeping an eye out for. Yeah. Just the upside of yeah. the pick, right? It's just, you, it's hard to find a guy who could have 20 to 25 touches a game late in drafts, especially having passing game work. And I think he's one of them.
0: I agree. 100%. I need to keep an eye. I need to keep him in mind the next time I'm in one of these uh, deep best ball leagues. All righty, Let's go ahead and move on from Washington uh we're going to the I, I i don't want to say the bottom of the barrel but let's be real akron's been one of the worst power or one of the worst fbs programs the past couple of years but is there reason to be excited for here with the akron spring game is there anybody we're kind of keeping an eye on here chris that maybe we want to look at come the season
1: um i think dj irons probably deserves a little bit more recognition at quarterback than i think i had been giving him he is a great dual threat guy, but he threw three t- passing touchdowns yesterday by all accounts. He looked really sharp and I know he's going against Akron's defense. So, I mean, what can you, what could you actually <laughs> take away from this game? But he's got a lot of, he's got upside. He is, he's 20, 25 point upside in, especially in Mac matchups. He could score you 30 in like those high score games against NIU, Kent state. Like he has that type of potential. So I probably like him a little bit more in a ball format, but I, I will probably be moving him up is, is the takeaway I had there. I don't think anything was decided at the running back position. Um, you know, I think John Allen Orles is probably the RB one, but it's probably going to be a committee again this year. And then Tony Grimes is the best wide receiver. I'm not even sure that matters.
0: Yeah. So like I pretty much mirror you for most of my takeaways. I'm a little bit more bullish on Norles because again, it seems that he was running with the same team that uh, Irons was running while Cam, Wiley, while Cam Wiley was on the other Side of it, so I think that tells me that they probably they do see Norris as the RB1. Uh, again, like you said, neither one of them looked great yesterday. Norris had 7 carries, 30 yards, and touchdown. Cam Wiley had 6 for 25. Neither one were great. Neither, neither side is going to have a good O-line. DJ Irons, I agree with you 100%, especially since Akron's going to be a team that's going to be playing from behind constantly. I definitely wouldn't mind uh putting him out there in a few tough spots this season. And then Tony Grimes, I'm with you, where it's like probably the top guy. I will wait until waivers uh, and grab him off of there. Then try to grab him now as like a if I miss if I miss out on Tony Grimes in a best ball, I'm not going to lose sleep at night because I refuse to take the upside of an Akron wide receiver.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I will not be drafting him. I need to see him do something before I draft him. They had Kanata Mumfield uh, last year and Mumfield was. Great. Pretty much not startable for most games. He would have a big one here and there. But in the context of the offense, he was awesome. But it's still a low-ceiling offense. And mm-hmm. Zach Gibson was a better passer last year than DJ Irons is. So we this is a big-time wait-and-see on anyone outside of Irons and probably Norls. I would say so. Even, even Irons
0: and Norls, like I, I'd say like you got to be in a pretty deep best ball to even consider yeah. them. So all right, let's stick in the G5 here, but we're going out to the state that half half the country doesn't even really believe exists. We got the Wyoming Cowboys in their spring game. Uh Chris, your boy, Titus Swin. Uh, this is his home and everything. But is there anybody else here that you're kind of taking a look at, maybe taking a stab at?
1: Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll draft Andrew Peasley, the quarterback. Uh, Utah state transfer. He's definitely mobile. He's probably in that Levi Williams mold. I think he's going to be the quarterback one. I don't know how much upside he has to mm-hmm. be honest. There's not really another guy on the roster. That's going to push him though. Sean chambers transferred to Montana state. Yep. Levi Williams switched roles with him and went to Utah state. So Peasley's a guy, maybe if you want to take in the last round and just assume he has some rushing upside, but uh, this game that did, I didn't really have anything to take away from Titus went I don't even think he had a carry. They were keeping no. him basically like in a glass case, but they, he did have a couple targets. He did. Which they lost Isaiah Nagor. They don't really have a guy in the passing that they can go to. If, I mean, if we can see Titus Wynn get 20, 25 receptions, I think he's going to be productive on the ground. Like that definitely raises his floor and gives him like a potential top 18, top 12 ceiling. I definitely
0: agree with you. You you mentioned that you don't think they have a top uh, top guy to go to. I'm going to disagree slightly. I think Joshua Cobbs, uh, with his six receptions of 58 yards yesterday, kind of showed that he might be a guy that they are willing to go to. But at the end of the day, it is the Wyoming offense. They have one of the highest um, uh, run percentages in terms of neutral game script and everything, so you don't really want to rely on a wide receiver in that system and... The other kind of main takeaway here is that it sounds like the defense just constantly gave up big plays in this game yesterday, and so yeah. that's kind of my my deal. Is that the bigger takeaway from me here is that if you got a team playing against Wyoming, you're gonna want to play you're gonna want to play that guy rather than uh, rather than maybe the people who are actually on Wyoming. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, man, I don't think Craig Bowles Wyoming. I think he is out sooner rather than later. I do not think people like playing for him and I don't think that he is a head coach who deserves the benefit of the doubt quite yet. So gotcha. I would not be surprised if in a couple of years like maybe next year, Craig Bull was out and we brought somebody else in. But for now, he's going to run a heavy run heavy system and you know, we, we will uh, draft Titus Swen. But yeah, they lost a lot of players to the transfer portal this year. Um, oh, they especially lost so on de- much. especially on defense so i think this is gonna be a bad team this
0: year It's gonna be really 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 bad team this year and again that's why i'm a little bit more interested in joshua cobb's because again just the game script they're going to be put in is going to cause them to pass just a little bit more uh but also again Titus one getting receiving work is making me a little bit more bullish on him because he's not going to get game scripted out of the games now if that is indeed the case um yeah I think that pretty much covers it for Wyoming let's hit up our last spring game here we got the California Bears a team that we don't typically go to for CFF production at least that last couple of years but is there anybody really that kind of stuck out to you here Chris Um, like Jaden Ott stuck out to me Damian Moore the two running backs there I think are interesting Uh, Maven Anderson um, I think is pretty interesting but like what, what, what are your overall thoughts?
1: Yeah, I have the same thought on the running backs. I, I think Jaden Knott is a guy who um, a lot of, of the Cali beat writers were hyping him up. He, um, and he, he's a four-star kid. It's not like he's some random three-star. He has the pedigree, so I'm really interested in him. Um, Damian Moore looked good, like you said. I thought Jack Plummer looked good at quarterback. You know, He's the Purdue transfer. Um, lost the job to Aiden O'Connell about halfway through the season. I, I think he can support maybe a wide receiver here. And so you mentioned Anderson. I think Anderson, he was a four-star kid last year. He has, again, the pedigree. Uh, J. Michael Servant had a nice catch early. I think he and Anderson are probably going to be starting wide receivers. They lost all their starters last year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I Crawford's gone. He was he had been the right receiver one there. I think there's a, a role for someone to fill. I thought Anderson was the best of the day. So I, I'm i taking a stab on him. Probably, like, I I just moved him into my rankings okay. um, earlier today. So that tells you kind of what I think about him. Deep A deep draft, I would probably take a shot on him.
0: Do you think the running back situation here, do you think it's going to be split between Damian Moore and Ott, or do you think it's going to be the Moore show this year and then Ott is kind
1: of the guy next year? What do you think? Um... I think it'll probably be split. I would be surprised if Ott got more than like 30% of the work early. I think maybe at the end of the year he can catch on, but I don't he's a guy that you have to take in dynasty. And I yeah. don't think you need to draft him in, I don't think even in a, a deep best ball, you're drafting him. I I think that he's like a wait and see if something happened to more, maybe. But he's definitely a guy that I want to target in, in dynasty leagues, um, in C2C leagues. I mean, he's he's a player who I think is impressive and I think will have a big role in this offense. It's an offense that likes to run the ball if they can I mean, mm-hmm. Chris Brooks transferred out, but they want to run if they have the opportunity to. So I, I like that.
0: And they definitely have the quarterback now to pass it if they wish. Cause uh, Jack Palmer is pretty good passer. Definitely not a good runner, but uh, he, he can definitely move the ball through the air and help out Anderson there. So, that pretty much brings us to the end of our show. Um, anything else, Chris, you want to touch on here today before we kind of finish up here?
1: No, I. It, it's a sad time being at the end of a uh, spring. I, you know, I, I always enjoy covering covering the spring games and and following along. So now we're actually moving on to what I would call real football time. Yep. So it's exciting.
0: No more of the shows basically being written for me. I have to actually like take some time and plan these things out now rather than just listening to spring games from this past week and be like, all right, let's talk about it. Um, nah, I have, I, I, I really do love, uh, going back to when I can have like such a different topic every single week because, like, I got some pretty fun ones lined up in the next coming weeks. Um, I want to do a show based around, uh, freshman supplemental drafts for CFF Dynasty. I think that'd be kind of a fun one. Um, Best ball versus redraft. I think people would. Be, uh, that's one I've been kind of throwing around here. Uh, we can do some discussions on. And then again, just kind of continuing to keep up with the transfer news and everything like that. Like, yeah, today's the de- today's the deadline. But we're gonna have people who are gonna transfer out. Still try to get those waivers. You're gonna have people who are finding their res- uh, homes as the season kind of goes on. It's gonna be a pretty fun time. I am very much looking forward to it. Uh, Chris, what are the kind of stuff that you're working on right now that you want to tell the people out there?
1: Now that spring is over, I, you know we're doing a lot of uh, projecting position battles and stuff. I think we're going we're going to start diving real deep into uh, more work on the CFF guide. Yes, you sir. Know, we'll, uh, we got we done a little bit of work there, and um, over the next you know month six weeks, I think we're going to have a lot of uh, really interesting stuff. So now the now that the rosters are kind of settled, we can start projecting a little bit better.
0: Yes, sir. And absolutely make sure you check out Chris on any of the other shows that he goes on. He's on Debbie Debate on uh Wednesday nights and then it is posted the next morning in podcast form. Uh and I totally forgot at the beginning of the show to go through the whole uh campus of Canton stuff, but you guys are out there, you've listened long enough, you know all of the spiels that I give out there, including the one I'm about to give you right now, where if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you comment below, subscribe, and hit that like button and all that other jazz if you're listening on podcasts, make sure you follow us leave a five star review wherever you can all that great stuff really appreciate you guys listening Chris thank you so much for coming back on sir it is always a pleasure to have you on here uh, and we always have great conversations even before this show and I wish I could just constantly just hit the little record button in, in secret right beforehand because again I think people would love to hear some of our conversation we have before and after the
1: show it's some good stuff yeah. Thank, thanks for having me on it. I always enjoy, you know, talk, talking football and whether or not it's even players it, or just the idea the way the w- sports go. And it's, it's exciting. It's a great time to be uh be into college fantasy football.
0: It's a, it's a very fun time just to just be a CFF fan or CFF or in CFB fan in general. Cause again, things are changing. Uh, it's fun kind of watching everybody kind of figure things out. Uh, it can be scary at times, but also I think in the, at the end of the day, the sport, is still at its heart going to be the thing that we love. And so plenty to look forward to, plenty to look forward in the coming weeks. Appreciate y'all listening. Y'all have a wonderful and blessed day.